Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. This is another episode from Digital Construction Week because we had so much fun there and spoke to so many people that there was just too much content to share. So here we are with round two of Digital Construction Week's podcasts. In this episode, we are talking to two business leaders. We are talking to uh, Anand Machari of Invicara, who's their CEO, who was at Digital Construction Week to launch their new product, Twinit. And I also spoke to Prakash Singhani of Safety.ai, who was over in the UK, about his journey through innovation and how their tools can benefit and getting hold of data and and all the things you need to do to unlock an innovation ecosystem for the future of the built environment and its amazing new startups that are coming through right now. So without further ado, let's get on with the first interview. Let's go for it. I'm joined now by uh, Anand Macheri, the CEO of uh, Invicara. It's good to have you here at Digital Construction Week. Great to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Um, So uh, today uh, I've been talking to people about uh, government and what government can do to support innovators. So uh, I've been doing a review uh, for the UK government on how they spend their money creating cyber-physical infrastructure. And that is, uh, that involves digital twins, and that's a key aspect of the work. So, um, first of all, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what your organization does so that, you know, we can understand the context of this conversation? Sure. Uh, So, Invicara has been uh, uh, a a, a key player in the industry around digital twins data management uh, for a few years. And back in 2018, we spun up a project called Twinit, what is now Twinit. Uh, we, we started developing a platform that developers could use and create custom solutions. Uh, the reason we did that was we recognized that disciplines can be many things to many people. It's based on business problems somebody wants to solve for somebody else. So the, the goal of Twinit was to <clears throat> make it possible for domain experts, not necessarily software companies, to create solutions that they care about. So we're delighted we announced its general general availability to market yesterday. That's Um, so exciting. That's so exciting. I can't wait to have a look at it. Yeah, please do. I will. I will. So in your opinion, Anand, how do you think the UK government could support innovative companies like yours to deliver um, better services to the country. So we could be talking funding, we could be talking regulation to make these things happen, we could be talking um, greater insights. There's there's so many levers that exist, um, but it's a really uh, complex area because right now things are effectively funded top-down and you know there are projects, there are programs, then there are projects, and then, then those projects get delivered. Um, but they don't seem to be adding up to an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are, you are right. There are so many different vectors how the government could approach this problem. And in my opinion, any one of them individually don't work. Uh, I've, uh, I've lived in environments uh, where regulation was used as the primary driver to create change. 
Uh, it did create, as in everyone adopted that requirement because it was, it was regulated, but no one really practiced it because it benefits them. So net result, bottom, the bottom line, it didn't work, right? Uh, the only way someone's going to adopt anything is because they realize the benefit of it. Okay. Uh, so in my opinion, if we want to drive innovation in, con in construction tech, prop tech, the ultimate beneficiary of, a, of that innovation must be bought in, bought in fully into the, into the process. And that could be incentivized. It could be incentivized okay. through uh, not just uh, innovation funding, but potentially even tax breaks. Like there, are, uh, there are fiscal jurisdictions where 400% uh, of investments made into uh, innovation could actually be uh, uh, assigned given ta tax write-offs. Okay. Um, that's so interesting. That's concept. an interesting model uh, because what then happens is uh, someone says, "Okay, I put in. I don't necessarily be be given cash, but if I spend hundred thousand dollars in in trying out an innovative uh, solution." Uh, to improve productivity, to improve outcomes in some way. Uh, how do you find, how do you regulate that? How do you certify that as another matter? Yeah. Um, I think there are solutions for that. But if that was done, then the organization would potentially get 400,000, let's say, uh, as a write-off on their income before tax. Uh, so models like that, which truly incentivizes uh, uh, the ultimate beneficiary to, to take money out of their pockets, to try, to try stuff, uh, and there should also be a long-term incentive behind that, you know, if there is a way to structure something. Which couldn't be just a, I'm going to try this, it doesn't cost me too much, I'm going to get payback, and I'm going to make a profit out of it and, and move on. That's not helpful. There should be some way to also try and see that innovation is sustained uh, over time. And we're seeing this all the time. Uh, many of the cons uh, construction tech players find uh, in introducing their technology into an organization it's tough enough, but when they do get past that initial barriers and get something tried out, and then getting it to scale up, scale up to be to be rolled out more broadly, is definitely a bigger challenge for them. So, to, anyway, so there's a bunch of things there around incentivization, around tax breaks, potentially some regulation. I think I'm not yeah. saying regulation is is not useful. It's it's extremely useful, but how that is directed would be. Interesting. Maybe so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. to let you in on the secrets of my recommendations. So uh, one of the recommendations is that uh, uh, that there is a cyber physical infrastructure mandate, and that it does not affect any regulation, but the regulations must be as close to real time as is necessary. Hello, future Henry here. Um, that's changed a bit. Real time might not always be necessary, or desired, or useful. So we have gone with this statement, improving data quality for measuring infrastructure owners' performance against things they're already regulated against. So everything still applies, but the way they improve their data is up to them. Anyway, back to past Henry. For the regulation of housing, of... of government-regulated industries like water, energy, you know, there's all sorts of areas where government spends money and tests itself and assesses its own performance in ways that um, can be quite a blunt instrument. So, you know, we're talking about a report once a year and it doesn't drive 
the kind of improvement in data management that is necessary to enable so many other things, right? Because with digital twinning, with cyber physical infrastructure, we could be making better decisions all the time. Um, I think one of the reasons we're not doing that is because there's so much groundwork to do. So that leads me into one of my other uh, recommendations is that we have a, uh, a sandbox environment. So that's a, a regulatory sandbox to test new regulatory ideas. Um, it's also a data sandbox, so it's just a, a, a place serviced by uh, industry where industry partners, government partners can onboard their data so that there is a legal framework that they can put in place. They can basically, it would be a facility, a service that is provided by government but would be serviced by innovators who are brought in, you know, they just need to be vetted for, you know, basic security that they're not, you know, selling things to hostile powers or, or that sort of thing. But, you know, we bring people, we bring innovators in and then we support these very large organizations who really struggle with their data. They have a lot and they have to they have to collect a lot, but they don't know how to share it. They don't know how to reuse it. They don't know how to manage it. And they need to be able to move that data around. And it's just about getting that first step in creating a data marketplace. So um, I'm not talking about something that is gonna be the a business that is the ultimate receptacle of that data, but that it is almost kind of the, the easing of the way, the first opening of the door for these these large organizations. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. So if you're, you're essentially talking about creating an open data environment for individual industry sectors, right, and regulating yeah. that uh, the data that can be put on the, uh, made open, is available there for innovators to make use of. Exactly. Uh, that's a fantastic idea, and I think it'll be, it'll go a long way. But coupled with that, you also need uh, some incentivization for people actually uh, implementing use cases and driving some value. Uh, if it's regulation requirements requires me to throw some data up there, uh, I'll do it. But what about the quality of that data? Who's responsible for that? Absolutely. Uh, unless it's used, you don't know if it's usable, right? Um, so there, there is that there is that aspect of making sure that the data that comes there is good, uh, which means you have, to, you have to also have some use cases for each industry vertical that must that must be the test bed for that data. Effectively, becomes that sandbox to test that data for its value. What I have specified is a bridging unit that collects these existing initiatives. That there is already millions of pounds being spent on transport, air traffic control, the banking system, all under the uh, remit of digital twins and cyber physical infrastructure, energy, offshore, satellites, you know, there's, there's loads of investment happening, but it's quite disconnected and it isn't creating this, there is efforts to connect it, you know, the digital twin hub is trying to bring people together, the Apollo protocol is bringing people together across sectors, but there isn't that place for the actual projects and the people that work on them to bring them together. So I think that is a good point. You know, it, 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 I, I would like to see, almost going back to this sort of uh, sandbox concept where, you know, we have a sandbox development so we can, you know, maybe kick off some, there's been free port concepts in the UK in recent years. There's been lots of areas where the government has considered funding big developments. So I think, yeah, I can see that that would be yeah. useful. Yeah, another way to uh, skin that would also be to define as part of that regulation 
not just the what data, but how okay. the data should be delivered. Uh, that will make it more valuable or more tangible uh, in the sense, you know, I can't just, let's say somebody, you need utility consumption data. Yeah, okay, that's described in some way, and so this is the data I want. Somebody could simply throw yeah. up, you know, a PDF. Yeah, yeah, there have to be certain standards that they have to meet. You know, for extracted from the area. So the, you need yeah. to say how that data to be must be delivered, how it should be structured. Some sort of a, some sort of a data structuring definition is important, and that will ensure that that data is machine readable and usable. Otherwise, we're going to end up with another, you know, repository of information that is not easily consumed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I think that's uh, there are projects uh, that are, are looking into that. So I really, uh, I will highlight those uh, as areas that need Brilliant. further work. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So I am here now talking to a, another CEO of a startup. Just introduce yourself, please. So great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so I'm Prakash Singhani. Um, I'm based out of Dubai in the UAE, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Novatech Group. And we've built a product called Safety.ai, which um, manages safety data um, using AI, machine learning, and natural language processing. Cool, cool, awesome. So um, how can people use that? Like, what does it do? So essentially, it's an application you download on your mobile phone, uh, and it works very much like WhatsApp. Um, it, but instead of it kind of being combined with all the other things on WhatsApp, uh, things like organizing your nights out and sharing pictures of your cats and your dogs, this is really focused on safety. Okay. Um, and we've integrated a machine learning enabled chatbot that sits over the top of it. Ah. Um, so a little bit like ChatGPT, but again, really focused on, on safety. Okay. But it's not ChatGPT. It's not ChatGPT. Uh, no, okay. But it uses very similar technology. Uh, okay. Um, we've been doing it for um, about three years. So before ChatGPT was in the Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of um, curates and um, works with the nuances of construction and safety and, and, and on, on all of those things to help manage um, capturing of information related to safety, but also disseminating information. That's kind of cool. Up. So where, where does it get all the data from? Like, what, How uh, do you feed this thing? So two things. Um, so we can feed it with historical data and okay. train it and get it to learn about how people in an organization have interacted with safety before, what, the, what, what, what things are important, what risks exist and things like that. And then obviously we ask people to input it or input data into it using a conversational interface. So it looks very similar to a WhatsApp uh, or Instagram chat or Facebook But instead chat. of it, say, being between like one small group or between two people, you're like creating this central repository of knowledge that they people can draw on exactly, for, for exactly safety that. cases. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, that's kind so of exciting. That's one, that's one of the use cases. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's really exciting. So, I mean, one of the um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, I, I want to see more innovation in built environment projects, in construction, in design, going all the way through to operation and maintenance and you know there's so many opportunities to uh, make better things happen how how have you been supported over over your kind of your history of your organization and what sort of support do you do you think would help yourself but organizations like you in kind of getting in, more engaged in more projects so if i if i start before i uh, um took uh, created my startup so i've been, i've worked in large corporations i started my career in Balfour bt oh, okay. worked with acom um in various different roles um and then latterly with jll which is a, a 
uh, property focused. Oh, uh, so, uh, but that gives you like quite a broad experience. Though. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and in all of those, I've, I have been involved in innovation, digital transformation, construction technology. Um, and I guess one of the questions you asked was how was I supported very, very early on? Um, I showed an interest in kind of the adapting or using and implementing technology to help make things safer and uh, improve productivity and that. And I was really well supported with uh, senior leadership. Um, I was, I was um, one of my very first projects after graduation, I was, put, I was part of an innovation board where we were um, uh, judging ideas from people in the organization to see if we can then fund them and take them forward. And so that really gave me uh, massive encouragement um, very, very early on that look, this is something that, that actually has some legs and is really important. And, and you can see uh, some of the impact that it's going to have. And then I think that gave me the confidence to say, okay, this is something that I want to make sure that I have involved in my career all the way, all the way through. Um, and it just so happened that the industry was moving in that direction as well. Yeah. So I got, I got really, really lucky. I think. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's an awesome story. It feels like the, the wind was in your sails, <laughs> and you were you were ready to sail into the future. Absolutely. And 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 then I've also I've also seen the other side of it. So when I when I moved with Balfour Beatty to the Middle East, the company and the organisation there was completely anti-innovation. Uh, okay. Things the way that they've always done things. Oh right. And actually one of the reasons that, that drove me to leave um, and so so I've seen kind of both sides of it and I think some of the it definitely needs a culture of innovation right it needs a culture where you're not afraid to fail um, there's no there's not this, this fear of failure this understanding that when you're doing new things things are going to go wrong but as long as you learn something from it right and improve yeah. and build upon it and that's a really culturally interesting point because I think the innovation space knows this you know, if you go to, um, you know, Silicon Valley, it is a badge of honor to have failed the company. Yeah. You know, that's like, you're in the game now. Yeah. You're one of us, yeah. you've done this thing. And I think, you know, in the built environment, you know, we build things in this waterfall method. It, we go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, bridge, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. then we're done. And yeah. then we're all good. Uh, and you can't, you can't get that wrong. Yeah. You, can't, you can't mess that up. Yeah. You know, people will die. Exactly. And I think it's really difficult for a lot of them to, uh, those people who come from that built environment background to understand that failing's okay yeah. in in startup space in innovation land because yeah. you're trying new things mm -hmm. you know yeah so I, I absolutely agree. I think I think that fear of failure is is deep rooted and for very very good reasons, right? If if things fail in the construction industry, the potential consequences are catastrophic, and so I, I, it's good. I, you don't want to remove that fear of fear uh, of failure in certain aspects, and I think it's really difficult to compartmentalize that, right? So you went to a structural engineer who who's got to um, create the designs to make sure that they're robust and all these um, uh, safety modes and that are uh, are kind of appreciated. They they've got absolute fear of failure but then ask that ask that same person then to adopt new ways of doing that analysis and that they're going to be scared about what the outcomes are going to be because they might not know what's gone into it and how it actually works and things like that because you know from their world even doing things the right way things can still go wrong so exactly. they're like you want to you want to you're adding complexity to my life exactly. why are you doing this to me exactly and i think so i think that's 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 one of the things is, is and it's a really difficult it's a really difficult problem it's a really complex problem to solve but you, there are certain safe spaces. I think we should. We need to try to create these environments where you almost like sandboxes where you can do this innovation. And if things fall down, the impacts can be contained um, and the risks mitigated or managed. Um, and I think the other thing is, as an industry, we're kind of really failing to attract younger um, people into the industry who bring some of this lack of. Um, uh, or this risk appetite and this these new ideas and this this attitude to adoption, adopting yeah. new things. I, I remember um, 
speaking to a group of young engineers in the Young Engineers Network that I think is was Sibsy. And I spoke to somebody who'd been in the industry two weeks. Two weeks. And uh, this gentleman said to me, well, do you know the big problem is nobody communicates and nobody collaborates and nobody knows what's going on? I was like, wow. <laughs> That guy got our number pretty quick as a sector. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah two yeah. weeks in, he was like, yeah, so why don't people collaborate? Like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. He, he, he sees. Yeah, but I think, I think things like BIM and that have really helped uh, to break some of these barriers down. For sure. Right? So architects talking to designers, or like, um, and then designers talking to people who are going to build it, and builders talking to people who are going to operate assets. And I think BIM's kind of, um, if you imagine this long linear line starting from design going to operations, it's made that line a lot shorter yeah. um, and brought a lot of people together. So we need, we need more of that collaboration, don't we, for sure. So how, how do you think um, kind of investment uh, or support or kind of uh, facilitation from UK government could drive more innovation and, you know, maybe try and attract you back to the UK, you yeah. know? So I, th I think the biggest part of it is that things like um, uh, contracting models, right? The way that we procure st startup technology or, or technology in general in an industry isn't the same way or shouldn't be treated the same way as when you're procuring a design consultant or you're procuring um, the construction of a high-rise tower. Right? So how should that be different then? So I, I think the, the kind of construction uh, technology has got a different way of being procured, right? So uh, the, the lead times, the evaluation criteria, the... Um, uh, the contracting mechanisms, the kind of some of the penalties. So I've worked on projects where we've got liquidated damages for when we're doing bespoke software development, which is ludicrous, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's basically people just taking something that's been applied to the contracting terms that they, they're used to doing every single day and saying copy and pasting and putting into this without yeah. thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think the government can really support in doing some of these things. And you've seen with like the adoption of BIM where the government mandates things starts investing and pushing their, their agenda where you can see real um, step change in, in attitudes. Excellent. Yeah, and I, I really look forward to seeing that world. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for taking so the time much. to chat to us. No worries. Thank you. So there we have it. Thank you so much to uh, Prakash and Anand for your time and your thoughts. So clearly there's a lot to do in order to make sure that innovation in the built environment is happening more often, more consistently. Obviously, we need to support businesses that are, are getting started financially, um, but we also need to let them in. So using traditional contracting methods just doesn't work for people. So that means we need to rethink how we address frameworks. It means we need to rethink how we address funding models, etc, etc. So this is not um, uh, an issue that is restricted to the built environment and construction. There are a lot of very traditional sectors out there in that they operate on contracting models that have been around for a long time. And the way that they operate is based on an analog world. So if you're working for government and you want to innovate in your government, I don't care which government you're in, they all have rules that go back a long way. Okay, so sure, there might have been changes to those government and those laws might have changed, but fundamentally, the rules stay very similar over time. So it's being increasingly recognised, you know, the uh, UK government's um, government digital service uh, 
has recognized that there's an ad agile methodology and they have released a vision, vision and a strategy that is directing people in that way because you just can't procure and implement technology in a waterfall model. You can't just do new things in a waterfall model. And uh, what impact is it going to have long term if you try and develop technology that way as well? That's super questionable. But it was super exciting to speak to our guests at Digital Construction Week, which feels like a long time ago now. But we look forward to the, ne to the next one. And we look forward to the Digital Twin Summit and the Connected Places and the Connected Digital Twins Summit happening in the UK next week.